Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my uh, tinfoil hat-wearing wonderful companion with me, as always, and co-host, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Uh, well, I'm keeping all of the, uh, the, the, the bad thoughts out of my head with this tinfoil. It's, it's quite effective. It also is really good in the winter when it's uh, freezing because it helps keep heat in. It doesn't actually do that. Don't do that. No, I just don't. thought it was funny. No, don't. <laughs> it's negative 29 out here. Don't, don't try it. Yeah, it's cold. Um, but we're not here to talk about, uh, despite what our name for the website would have you believe, we don't actually watch weather patterns. Um, instead, we're going to be talking about, well, like, like you said, story and lore in video games. Uh, we're going to be answering some questions today, but uh, if we have something we're going to get to before that a little bit that I think you might appreciate. But if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, I want you to be sure to send those in. You can send those into podcast at blizzardwatch.com singular specify what show it's for. And we'll be more happy to take a look at it and see if we can work it in. Uh, if you are not a fan of emailing us, you can go on our discord. We have two channels to decide one for Patreon supporters as a way of saying, thank you. Uh, you help us keep the lights on and well, the site wouldn't exist without you. So we appreciate that. Uh, we have a patron Q and podcast questions channel for you. And we tend to look there first. Uh, and if you can't support us on Patreon, we understand uh, we have a Q and podcast questions channel set aside uh, for folks that can't do that uh, monetarily. But again, remember folks sharing your, our content, telling your friends about us is also supporting us. And we appreciate that just as much, but I'm going to cut this over to Matt because Matt and I were talking a little bit before the show uh, about some interesting implications and story elements that I don't think anybody's really talking about right now. Nobody's really brought it up that I've seen. So Matt, why don't you go ahead and take a, take it from here? Okay. Well, uh, I don't know if people know this, but I'm a nutcase who likes to have more than one character of the same class at max level for transmog purposes. Um, I like to level up a bunch of warriors so I can just run old raids over and over again on the same cl class and see if I get the, the tier I want. Right now I'm leveling uh, one character is, is already max level and I'm doing stuff on him. I got one character who hit 67 today and other characters at 65 and other characters at like 63. And while I'm leveling these characters, I keep going through the waking shores because it's right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't have to be your first zone after you've leveled your first character. I don't know if people know that adventure mode, you can go anywhere you want, but it's right there. I mean, you get off the boat, boom, you're right there. So I'm running, like I said, I'm leveling through it. One of the places you end up going is the dragon scale base camp. And there's a whole bunch of quests around that area. The primalists are doing various things. And at one point, after you've taken a bunch of pictures of various giant proto drakes, you end up at the, there's a, the, the remains of an absolutely behemoth one that the dragon scale base camp is basically built inside. Like this thing is enormous. It's, it's like, it's about as big as like, like Alex Straza is. It's this gigantic thing. Yeah. It's huge. It's uh, aspect size. The head is so big that you can just go stand in it. It's mm -hmm. just, it's, it's enormous. Uh, one of the, the, the drag there is like, you know, I, I feel so strangely connected to this thing. Uh, would you please come take a picture of me standing next to it? Just so I have this pres preserve it. And as he's doing that and talking about how it died, like when you go and look around the ruins, uh, I mean, the, around the remains, you, you find out that it would died from like a bite to the back of the head by something about as big as it is. And he even says some, it, it died battling something as powerful as itself. That's rare for a dragon to, you know, like the, what, what can do that to a dragon? Um, and I started thinking, cause you know, there's this, 
this remain the remains of this thing inside the earth. If you've done Vault of the Incarnates at all, um, one of the things you find out is the names of the various incarnates. Uh, one of them is called Aridicron. And Aridicron is essentially the incarnate of Earth. Like the incarnates are fire, earth, air, and water. Uh, that's that's what they are. The, the the water one is obviously freezing. He's cold, but it's still basically they are the elements themselves. And so Aridicron has it when when you're talking when Alex Straza later talking about him says that he's the cleverest of them and the most duplicitous of them. He made deals that the others might not even have known about with various powerful forces, including the, the deal that made them incarnates. Like essentially he made a deal to gain, you know, these elemental powers. And I started thinking about that because he's an incarnate of earth. And we have already seen in this expansion in the Drakthir origin that when the incarnates attacked the uh, Drakthir and blasted Deathwing before he's Deathwing, then he's Naltharian and they destroyed whatever that Titan device he was using was which I really hope comes back. Like, sure. I really hope we see about that. But when he destroyed it, he got, you know, Deathwing finally like snapped and reached out to Nizoth. We know that Deathwing was working for Nizoth. That's when, that's when Deathwing made his deal with Nizoth, right? We, we've seen that. That's when it happened. Now, what's the thing that we're always told about Deathwing, about how he was kept hearing the maddening whispers of the old gods because they were trapped within the earth. And because of his deep connection to that as being the steward of the deep places. Yeah. Being the, the aspect of earth meant that he was, he was susceptible to hearing their whispers. Well, Eridicron made a deal to become the incarnate of earth. So I'm pretty sure same basic deal there. If anything, he and Deathwing were like rivals, both of them saying, no, I'm the one who's in control of the earth. And it's quite possible to me that that means Eridicron would have been hearing certain whispers. Now, cut to when we're doing the the Norse Dormu quests, the one that sends you various places. Uh, one of the places it sends us to is, you know, Asmerloth, which is just A++ would see again. But one of the places it sends us to is the Black Empire. And that Black Empire it sends us to isn't like... When we went to Nyalotha, we were basically kind of in a, like a virtual reality when we go back in time, we go to the actual Black Empire, the place we, that literally existed on Azeroth. And yeah. Azoth is the one who's waiting for us. He's Not there. He talks to us. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a, like uh, some folks were, were mentioning that they thought that it was an asset reuse, which part of it probably is, sure. But for I take it the same way Matt is, we're actually in Nyalotha. We're actually mm -hmm. in the Black Empire because what Nazoth made us, well, made us go into what we wound up going into necessary wasn't necessarily a virtual reality environment that could have been it was a recreation of what already was yeah it was basically calling it a vr is kind of just shorthand because oh, yeah. what he was trying to do was literally overwrite azeroth with this he wanted to use the halt of origination to turn azeroth into this thing and this was what it was going to be he was showing you he was like it, it was it was real when you went there it wasn't like you go to a VR, like if you're wearing a VR headset, you go in and stuff happens, but it's not real. It was real while you were there. Yeah, my, my point was not so much there. that it wasn't real. It was that it was more so that this wasn't a wishful thinking. This had already happened. This had already been a representation of the Black Empire that had mm -hmm. already existed thousands of years before we got there. We were just seeing what Nazoth remembered of it. This yeah, one, this we're actually going to it. But this time, we, when we step through the time travel, we're literally there. We mm -hmm. are in that time period, and Nazoth is there. Now, 
I think it's interesting that we we happen to travel back in time to a point where Chromie and the Infinite Flight guy have both been stranded, and Nazoth is the one who's there. There are multiple other old gods that you could run into, including Yashraj, who at that time still existed and hadn't been torn apart into the Shah yet. Mm-hmm. And Yashraj was undisputably the most powerful of them. So why did we run into Nazoth? And what what does it mean that Nazoth made a deal with Deathwing? He made that deal on the Dragon Isles. Yeah. Does that mean that the Dragon Isles were inside where Nazoth ruled? Because And now think about it. What's close to the place where the Dragon Isles are on the map? The Broken Isles. Yep. And what city we know that the Broken Isles are all that's left of the area around the Well of Eternity, whereas Shara was standing when she made her deal with Nazoth. And does that mean that that's, you know, if Rudikram was on the exact same place, they were fighting in this area. It was islands even then. The other, the other thing to consider, too, is that our world is essentially built upon the bones of the Black Empire. Mm-hmm. Right, like we we know that deep in the the bowels of Earth, we've gone to sunken cities before. Heck, in Wrath of the Lich King, we go to at least three of them, where you know the Nerubians are there. Well, Nerubians are sort of real close to that old gaudy stuff now, aren't they? Well, the Nerubians are literally descendants of uh-huh. the Akir, and the Akir were born out of the body of you know Cthulhu. They just straight up were. I mean, and we know that the other old gods also made. Both uh, they made Akir and they made Naraki. They just that's that's what happened when they were in a place. Those things came out of them. So, yeah, there's. I really think of the Eridicron thing. Like one, I've had like three theories bumping through my head. First one is that Eridicron's dead. Mm-hmm. That that body is Eridicron, and whatever the heck is going around calling itself Eridicron now is something else. Something that took its place. Yeah. Second one is that. The, not all the proto drakes might have agreed with the ideas of the incarnates. There might have been ones that were like, "Hey, hey, 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 wait a minute! Why can't we just go our own way? Let let the aspects do what they're doing, and we'll go do what we're doing. We don't have to fight them. We can just leave." And Eridicron killed the guy or girl, whoever it was. Maybe killed it and hit it and made it seem like the aspects had done it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's number two on my theory bandwagon. Number three on my theory bandwagon is even weirder because I keep thinking we keep being told about Galacron that how Galacron was experimented on by tear. And when we know that that's, there's at least some evidence for that in this expansion so far, but what I keep coming back to this. What if we don't quite know the true story about this? Like what if the whole fate of Galacron is different than we think it is? What if that thing that was calling itself Galacron wasn't Galacron? And what if that thing is still around? Well, the other the other thing that's been rolling through my mind about this as well, especially like in context of that, is we literally just had an entire expansion about consciousness, souls, and the entire basically uh, existential crisis of id. <laughs> like that's what the Shadowlands really was, if you really break it down, right? And with everything we're seeing here, dragons they die. What happens to their anima? What happens to them when they die? Are they being thrown back into a, a Titan engine and, and being forced to be reborn inside of the uh, the Ruby life pools? Or 
is there something that happened during the experimentation that Galakron never actually really died? Its body may be gone, but we've seen things linger. We've seen the influence of things long dead linger on this place, linger where they're not supposed to. It's entirely possible, like Matt's saying, that like the thing that's calling itself Ereticus is is not right. Yeah, Ritochron or or Ritochron, yeah, excuse me, right? Ritochron, excuse me. I, I'm just as bad. I I, I can't remember the names. Half there's the time. too many. There's too many things. We 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 we, yeah. we read too many books. <laughs> but but when the thing that got me is when Razageth dies, and I'm sorry mm-hmm. if that's a spoiler for you guys, but I mean she's a boss in a raid. You know something happens. Um, when Razageth dies and the other three get out. Aridocron's the one who takes charge almost immediately. Oh yeah, without hesitation. And I keep thinking back to that idea of of, of the the connection to the earth and the old gods. And we know that the elementals often, when left out to their own devices, are often in the sway of the old gods. This is an expansion where I really feel like at some point there needs to be a quest where you, where a shaman player goes back to the the shaman order hall and was like, what is going Give on? Give this to me, please. All of these elemental Lords are supposed to report to us. And yet we have not done anything to check on this. Are you kidding me? This what is, is going on. Why are there so many elemental beings, you know, around these incarnates? Who are they? Why have I not heard of them before now? Uh, you know, elemental Lords. And you know, what would be hilarious if this was all a way to get the original elemental Lords back. Yeah. And and to basically break that pact that they made with the shaman. You know? Or so you can have them as villains again. Or or go ahead. A failsafe to break the elemental lords out of their pact with the old gods. Yeah. For that matter too. They, this in fact, we, you know, one of the things that might even be happening here is that this might be the elemental lords way to try to get their own to get out of that pact. Yeah, that's what I that's what I was yeah. kind of thinking about too yeah. is cuz like think Absolutely. about it. Therizane is probably the smartest of all of the elemental lords. Uh, she is the most approachable, uh, but that's not without reason, right? She's also been the only one that really hasn't been assailed. Uh, when Deathwing fell through the planes of existence, where did Deathwing go? Went to Stonecore. Yeah, but, dude, I just thought of this while you were saying that. You're probably going to say the same thing I'm th- thinking of, but go for it. Centaurs? I was going to go for it, man. That there are centaurs who were led to the Dragon Isles by Onara. Mm-hmm. And centaurs are descended from Therizane. Therizane. Like her, one of her daughters and one of, uh, oh, bloody heck. Scenarius' kids. One of Scenarius' sons and one of Therizane's daughters. No, the other way around. No, no, yeah, no, it is what I said it was. It was correct. It's one You're of Therizane's daughters, Theradras. I mean, we met, we've seen Theradros. We know who she is. Mm-hmm. She's the mother of the centaurs. Mm-hmm. Of all so centaurs. Yeah, of all centaurs. So, it, And these centaurs are descended from those centaurs. We know that because they tell the story of how during the Sundering, they were like trapped and they couldn't get out of... They ran away from the Well of Eternity and ancient Kalimdor. And they were led here by Onara. A wild god. Mm-hmm. One of Cenarius's, you know, kin, essentially. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, that's just now that's there we go with Theradras and the earth. You know, Therizane and Theradras. Therizane is therefore the the grandsire, grandmother of all centaur, including the centaur. But it also makes sense, though, that the original elemental lords, despite like, despite their their war with each other, they didn't want to serve the gods. They didn't want to serve the old gods. gods. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. They fought. They lost, but they fought. And if 
uh, Therizine saw Deathwing fall through into Stonecore, saw what was going on, saw the corruption of an old god there, recognized it for what it was, because of course an elemental lord would absolutely recognize that sort of that 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 smell, that taint, that 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 affliction. The force that bound them. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and would say, oh, this is interesting now. Okay. Well, if they can do that, I wonder what I can do. And throwing incarnates out there is not a horrible, like a horrible idea. Like I understand this timeline had happened before then, but I mean, just seeing that influence and trying to reach out and, and touch things seems exactly what pe- like beings trapped in a plane of existence would try to do. Hey, we just had another expansion about where all that started from. Like it's on the table, right? It is on the table that the elemental Lords are behind this, that they're behind the infusing of the, these incarnates because they would have the power. They would have the sway. It doesn't necessarily have to be an old God. And that could no, be it, why that could be mm-hmm. why there was a rival between uh, the incarnate of earth and Deathwing. Why I they happened in the first place. It, it seems like Deathwing was the one who was in charge of the war in the first place too. Yes, it was. So, but anyway, that's just the stuff that I was thinking when I came upon that, that body and I started thinking about Eridicron. So talking Joe and I were talking about it. And so, uh, hope you enjoyed that solid close to 20 minutes of us <laughs> rambling about this. Uh, but now I guess we can move on to doing some emails. We are indeed. Uh, so we're going to start with a couple questions here. And this one I know is going to be another favorite of Matt's because it does talk about a topic he loves very much, which is Diablo. Uh, well, two part question. One of them is Diablo. Uh, so two questions for lore watch. And these are from Severella, who is a frost death knight. First one, following your retrospective on gods in Warcraft, what does it mean to be immortal in Warcraft? We are referred to as mortals. Some of our characters can be tens of thousands of years old. Some are undead. Forsaken death knights are undead, undead. Uh, We seem less able to die than many immortals we have faced in Shadowlands. It... I took it as us being uh, as it being a way to refer to the living, but Razageth refers to us as mortals, too. So, before we go on to the Diablo question, mortals in Warcraft is sort of uh, an umbrella term. Right. Yeah. When dragons say it, they're just being snotty. Like, I'm just going to say this. Dragons don't have any special. Well, that we know of dragons don't have any special non-mortal status yet. They all seem to say that. And you'll notice the only dragon we saw in the Shadowlands was Ysera. Mm -hmm. And Ysera was sent there directly by a loon. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. She was sent there. Not, and she wasn't sent there in the normal way, and she was sent there to be reborn through a wild seed. Alun's goal was that Ysera would be returned to life. Hold on to that for later. There's spoilers in Dragonflight about that subject, but I don't think we're going to talk about it yet. Um, but but yeah. just going back to the other thing, we don't really know what happens when a dragon dies. Yeah, exactly. We we know that the essence of the the dragons of the Dragonflights has been joined to order through specific processes that we're finding out about. We know that the incarnates have made some kind of pact with the elementals, do you, but hmm? do, you, do you want to hear my crackpot theory using an analogy from uh, another uh, IP that uh, is super close to my heart that you'll have no surprise with. Okay, go for it. I liken it to dragons potentially. And this is something I've been thinking about too. Why they refer to us as mortals is because maybe they functionally are immortal in a certain particular way. It's almost like what happens with transformers in the all spark. The Allspark is essentially what gives all uh, Cybertronians life. 
when Cybertronians die, they become one with the Allspark. It's a cycle. It just continually goes through. Their life spark goes back. It feeds the Allspark. The Allspark f- strips basically their memories. More are born, and it just kind of continually goes through. There's entirely possible that that's what happens with dragons, too. Because the I real- mean, that's exactly what happens with angels in Diablo. But yeah, it is exactly what happens with they go into the crystal arch, but I, I was actually thinking of something a little bit related. Have you been reading, uh, Kieran Gillian's Eternals comic? I absolutely have the engine of earth in yep. that story. Uh, when an eternal in that story dies, they are brought back to life and a, and a human dies in their place. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly the case here. I don't think it's necessarily a case that the dragon is reborn and someone dies in their place, but again, there's stuff coming up. So pay attention. But I do think it's interesting that it feels like dragons have it. Their nature is tied to the elements in ways that we don't yet fully understand. Obviously, the proto dragons can can literally become incarnates of of an elemental. But all the 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 various dragonflight dragons are also elementally aspected. I mean, if you look at both the black and the red dragonflight have connections to both earth and fire. Um, if you look at uh the the blue dragonflight. There's definitely, you know, not just arcane energies. It's like they use the elements as a metaphor more than the the incarnates and the proto-dragons take it literally. We are of this element. But for the dragonflights, it's been extended up into a metaphor where it's like, yes, you are like water and you can flow and grasp and, and understand these concepts of arcane magic. Yes, you are like air. You are like the sandstorm. You are time and time's erosion. Yes, you are like fire. You are life. You are, you know, the, the dancing sparks of, of infinity. Yes, you are, you know, life itself. Uh, what when, what element does that sound like? That fifth element we keep getting told about that we mm-hmm. don't see one for the incarnates, but the anima definitely seems to be that. The green dragonflight seemed to be the other side of that. Fun fact, and, uh, fun fact, the fifth element spirit is the main one that the uh, shaman of the Tuscar are known for. Just throwing that mm-hmm. out there. And finally, you've got the the Earth, the, the dragons of Earth, who Earth has fire in it. Earth has magma in it. And that's there. They touch on those elements, too. So I think it's interesting that you've got that. It almost feels like on one side of it, it's it's quite literal. And on the other side, it's quite metaphoric, but also literal. And yet the literal ones don't have, they don't have a spirit incarnate. Mm-hmm. They don't have a, you know... They don't have that force. They don't, you know, they just don't touch upon it, but it's a big part of shamanism. I mean, when Thrall learned shamanism, he sat there and that's the first thing they told him. It's like, you know, there's spirit that binds through everything. And we're even told that that's one of the things that Azeroth is lacking because Azeroth itself draws all the spirit into herself. Or lacked. We don't know what the current state of it is now. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a ton to it, but. It's not that Azeroth lacked it. It's that, you know, if you're standing on the surface of Azeroth, you couldn't just channel it. Yep. It wasn't like it was on Draenor where it was everywhere and it was so much that it was actually kind of endangering the planet. On Azeroth, the elements fought because they couldn't get enough of it. Also. And that's interesting to think about. The incarnates aren't fighting each other, are they? We, well, we don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, yeah. My basic point here is that that all connects to what Joe's saying. And I 
no, Joe's going to say something else, so I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> it's just that the, the term mortals, if you look at who refers to us as mortals, it's always a cosmic entity or something sufficiently powerful that is one step removed from something that has told it that it is essentially immortal. Whether it is the Titan Watchers who empowered the dragons, who the dragons believe that the Titan Watchers and thus the Titans are immortal. We know that not to be the case. Because we've seen a Titan die. We've killed the Titan. We've we've literally killed the Titan. Yeah, uh, but the thing about that is when we did it, e- even then we were told this isn't what should be happening. But yet, you, right, 100%, right? Yeah. But That's it, an interesting thing to think about is the concept of mortality as the breaker of immortality. Mm-hmm. You're mortal because not only can you die, you can kill yes. the things that aren't supposed to die. Yep. And that's the age of mortals is something to think about in that, in that regard. Because we we are shaping we are shaping the universe in a way that was not planned for, right? or at least that these beings haven't planned for. Correct. We don't know what the first ones planned. I still think I know t- some people are tired of the first ones, but I'm telling you guys, there's so much more there. And I do think Tyr has the uh, it was probably a little more complicated than we give him credit for. Go back and listen to one of our previous episodes. I'm still on the train of Tyr had feelings. He was evolving. Um, yeah. There's there's also the fact that. Well, I don't want to spoil this. this that's a problem. Is we one of these things we're gonna so have to sit down and do a spoiler episode. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna I happen. Think the next next one's gonna have to be a spoiler episode because there's stuff going on, guys. But yeah, so I but I, that's it. Like it's just it's a blanket term. It doesn't actually have a specific meaning anymore. Uh, it ha- or rather, it has a million meanings. So at least don't think too far into it. Um, now the Diablo Four question here. I'm gonna move on to. Why is Lilith a big bad? I get why the high heavens and the forces of the hells don't like her, but do the denizens of sanctuary? Why, or, but to the denizens of sanctuary, why isn't she essentially our admittedly sexy and membranous granny? Wouldn't her return be a good thing for the Nephilim? Mm, complicated. Before Matt goes right. on a rant, uh, don't forget she wanted us to be the foot soldiers in her war to end the eternal conflict. Yeah, Lilith doesn't love you. You're a thing to be used. Lilith, initially, when you go go back to Diablo 3, Reaper of Souls, and go back through the Pandemonium Fortress and get all the, the, get all the lore bo- books you can, because there's one where Lilith herself writes about what she's up to. And she makes the point, the eternal conflict can be won. And I, you know, Inarius just wants to escape it. But I, I see a way to victory. I will, I'll explain it to him and he'll understand, but first I'll give him children. Those are her exact words. She didn't, she went into this wanting to create beings that were both angel and demon because she understood that the power that each, that an angel or a demon has is only half. It's descended from half of the power that created the cosmos in the first place. But if you mingled them, you get both. You can have both powers. You can basically recreate the primordial Anu who could shape worlds. Angels and demons can't shape worlds. They can't make them. That's why the world stone was so powerful. That's why the eye of Anu, the world stone was so important that they built the pandemonium fortress around it and kept trying to fight over who was going to get to have it because it could create worlds. But you'll notice that before angels and demons worked together, it couldn't create permanent worlds. When an, when the angels had it, They'd make worlds with it, but those worlds wouldn't last. They would Same eventually, the they would eventually collapse and go back into the world stone, right? Yeah, exactly. Only one world was created by the world stone and existed on. 
and that world was sanctuary, and that world was created by Anarius and his followers, and Lilith and her followers working together. And that's important. When you talk about Nephilim, when you talk about Lilith and why she's a big bad, that's an important thing to consider. They built a place that didn't need the world stone to exist to the point where Tyriel could blow up the world stone and the world kept going. Yeah. So think about it like this, like in the grand cosmology of Diablo, we talk about the being that was one that then separated into two, right? You had this, these two representations that when that being was one was essentially the combination of everything that came after in a pure form of creation, it could create, it could do whatever. It was a perfect being or a near as perfect as, as union perfect. as you can get. Perfect in the example of it was complete. Yes. Not perfect in the example of like when we use perfect, a lot of times we mean we, we put in moral judgments to it. Yeah. No moral this judgments. Being, I'm, I'm meaning complete here. Yeah, This right. being was a, was a complete being that could make reality. We, and it did. It chose to make a reality so that it could see what it was. And it basically split itself all these things that people called dark and sinister and all these things that are called good and righteous and now it was two beings tathamet and the diamond warrior on new yep and when they clashed they destroyed each other the remains of tathamet became the hells and the remains of anu became the heavens and the crystal arch through which all angels are born is the spine of the diamond warrior it's essentially anu you know, replicating them as they die, they go back to it and are recreated. They, their personalities are gone, but their life energy, the thing that makes them exist comes back. And that's basically because all of them are little fragments of Anu. Meanwhile, the seven headed Tathamet, its heads literally ripped out of its dying body and became the seven evils. And all the other demons that are born out of its carcass are the same. They're like little tiny pieces of the primordial Tathamet. But when an angel and a demon have a child together, they are basically recombining a piece of Anu with a piece of Tathamet and are creating the primordial Anu over again in miniature. It's fractal, but it's, mm -hmm. it's that basic process. That's what the, why the world stone was able to create a permanent world on sanctuary because it was the power of both working together. You need both the, the, the you need both. You need the drive the determination, the conquest mindedness to upend the rules of reality. And then you need the, the purpose, the moral clarity, the, you know, both of these things are needed. Lila saw that, but she herself was not capable of thinking like that because she is a demon. So when she understood what she, what they could do, what she could create, she didn't do so with love in her heart for them. They're a tool because she is a demon. And she has not, in all the years of her existence, she has never been able to, to have the realization that Tyriel had and shed her demonic nature. She could do it. It's possible. But she has not tried to. You know, when we see Tyriel rip his wings off and become mortal, there's a reason that, that Imperius is like, sacrilege. Because to him, that is beyond unthinkable. What he has done, he's not human. He's not a human from sanctuary. He does not have demon in him, but he is no longer an angel. He has, in a way, he has transcended it. He has take he has taken off the mantle of being a part of that that whole thing and made himself other in a way that is still undefined. 
Lilith hasn't done that. Lilith is still a demon. Lilith is still thinking like a demon. Just like Anarius is still an angel, is still thinking like an angel. And the two of them are not looking at us, at the, at the Nephilim, for themselves. Anarius is afraid of the Nephilim. Lilith wants to use the Nephilim. So is it good that she's back? It might be necessary. It might be a balance issue. Rathma may have brought her back because if it's Rathma doing it, which we're pretty sure it is. Well, this is going to... I was going to say, this, go this, this sort of bleeds into the next question, which we can, if you don't mind, I'd want to go into that maybe. Oh, I go think ahead. it's a good transition. And this one's from uh, Dakun. With the new Diablo 4 trailer, and this is some mild spoilers if you haven't seen it, I'm quite confused why Anarius is fighting against Lilith. At the end of the trailer, we see him attempting to kill Lilith before the screen turns black. But as I understand, Anarius vowed to never cause her harm. What changed over the eons? What could his motivations be? Am I reading too much into a cool cinematic? So I think this feeds into what you were going. So I just wanted to kind of yeah. like throw that in there. First off, we don't even know what he was doing there. Like we don't, we don't get to see him. You know, we see him throw a spear. We don't see what he's throwing it at. We might, he might be just trying to clear the path to get to her because there were a whole lot of demons in his way. Mm -hmm. You know, he wants to be with she standing. He would have to get through them somehow, but he has spent at least some time in hell being tortured by Mephisto. Okay, we're going to have to go into the Sin War here. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to try and quick and dirty this because we only have so much show here. But during the Sin War, what ended up happening was Inarius had used... When Lilith first started, they started breeding together, the various angels and demons, including Lilith and Inarius. Lilith and Inarius was absolutely besotted with her. This is just a fact. He couldn't understand why. He didn't know because he couldn't... To him, emotions like love don't make any sense. Keep that in mind. The angels are not going around... Like these are not beings who get who fall in love. It was not something that he understood, but he knew that he just could not be away from her. Like the more they they were together, the more he wanted to be with her. But then they had children. They had she, the two of them had Lenarian, aka Rathma. Others had others. We don't know who the parents of each individual ancient are. Uh, we we don't know if they're all like if all the original big ancients are descended from Lilith and Anarius. We we don't know. This is not not information we have. But the various Nephilim were born, and immediately, within like a very few years, started displaying powers and abilities that that rivaled the angels and demons that created them. And the, the angels and demons were terrified because they saw sanctuary as a hiding spot. Like if these beings are this powerful now, what about in like you know a, the blink of an eye to us cosmic entities? They could become so powerful that they they attract the attention of the heavens and the hells. And then we're found. And now, you know, we're going to get dragged into the eternal conflict. So they basically came to the decision, you know, and, and Arius was sort of like on the sidelines. He wasn't making a decision because he didn't want to upend, you know, Lilith. But he was like staying back. And the rest of them were like, yeah, we think we should kill them all. We think we should kill them because that's the only way we get to be safe. And Lilith was like, you want to kill my grandchildren. You want to kill my, my creations. <laughs> no, you die first. And so she killed everybody. Of all the angels and demons that went to Sanctuary, Lilith killed every single one of them, with the exception of Anarius. Anarius she is she was, insanely powerful. Yes. And not only is she, like, she is the daughter of Mephisto. Mephisto is one of the three great evils. She's just a hair below that. Anarius is an archangel. That's the level of power we're talking about for these beings. We've seen archangels go. You've seen Imperius. You've seen Tyrael. You know how powerful they are. That's where Anarius is. He wasn't actually one of the heads of the, of the Angelus Council, but he was respected enough that they listened to him. Like he'd come into the room and be like, I don't think we should do that. And they're like, well, maybe, maybe he's right. It's Anarius. He knows. 
that's the level of power we're talking about here. She tried to convince Tyrion, sorry, Inarius, that you know this is my plan. This is we're gonna these, we have these these Nephilim now. They're gonna get more and more powerful. We don't have to hide. Hiding was just a, a stopgap. I'll I remember in the book she's like I will give him children. These are the children. So she's like this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna use these these things and they're gonna win the war for us. And we're gonna be the ones who win it. It's gonna be us. You know, it's not gonna be my father and the other, you know, evils. It's not going to be your archangels. It's going to be us, you and me, we're going to win the war. And Anarius was like, Oh, okay. You were using me this whole time. And you forgot that I'm the one with the link to the world stone at the moment, didn't you? And so he used the power of the world stone to banish her. Cause he didn't, as you said, he vowed not to harm her, but he didn't vow not to like, you know, to allow her to do what she was doing. He was repulsed at the idea. And so he banished her from existence. He didn't just banish her. He didn't like, he didn't just say, go, go back to hell. He banished her from existence. Mm -hmm. He just, you don't exist anymore. You are outside of existing. But unfortunately for him, he forgot she was linked to the world stone too. Remember they used it together. So she basically waited and spent her time waiting little, little, little changes. Cause if she made big changes, he would notice and immediately change it back. She made little changes and little changes and little changes till the thing Anarius did after he got rid of her, which was to make Nephilim impossible. She slowly eroded it and in the process destabilized the world stone. And that's how we got the sin war in the first place. That's how we got Odysseus. And you'll notice when Odysseus is coming up and learning how to use his powers and his brother Mendel is learning how to use his and other Nephilim are, are flocking around and coming to their banner. There's a person who's who's helping them who turns out to be Lilith and Odysseus does not stick around with her. He knows immediately this person does not have good motives for me. Cause that's the thing. Lilith does not care about the mortal beings of sanctuary. She does not care about the Nephilim as anything but tools for her purpose, which is to rule everything. Like if Lilith gets her way, there won't be a heaven or a hell. They'll just be Lilith. And any angels or demons who still exist will just be doing what Lilith says. She will rule everything. She will be the queen of existence. That's what she's going for. As for why he's trying to kill her, he has never gotten over the fact that she was just using him because he had genuine feelings for her. And in her way, she might have genuine feelings for him. Like she's a demon. Like imagine if your cat was like an actual intelligent being that you could have conversations with. Your cat could look, could be like, hey, I love you. Claw, claw, claw. It's still a cat. Your cat loves you and yet still claws you because your cat is still a cat. Yep. Lilith's way of loving you can be, I will conquer infinity and we'll rule it together. I'll share rule of the universe with you. That's how much I think of you. That when we are, we were completely blasted away all these others and we are ruling on this giant heap of skulls of all the people we had to kill to get to be in charge i'll share that with you why do you look so sick about this it's it's, it's literally the best thing ever i don't i don't you are really hard to, to please Inarius. seriously i've given you children who could dominate existence what more do you oh you want to you want to be feel bad about it okay you know, do you see where I'm going with this? Like Lilith is a demon and she thinks like a demon and we are not her friends No, <laughs> because she doesn't have any. Yeah. And then that's the thing to keep in mind, right? Like Matt, uh, there's nothing I can really add that Matt hasn't already said because he's answered this pretty, pretty completely. It's just, she's not our friend. And 
at the end of the day, a vow doesn't mean anything because it's not like a fairy promise in D and D in like the Fey Wilds, where like if you don't, if you go back on your word, something's going to happen. Yeah, this is not a gios from you know from you know Irish mythology. It doesn't enforce itself. He just said he wouldn't do it, but then she ended up manipulating events, so he went to hell, and her dad tortured him for however long it happened. Yeah, so like it, the feelings are allowed to change, and you know it's a thing. But so, then again, we also don't know what he's doing there. Correct. I mean, besides with you know raising his troops, the Akarat. I, I honestly don't, dude, I'm going to come back to this because I, I want to mention this. Joe, I think Joe is right on the money. We were having a conversation and I've been thinking about it since. I think we don't know when he got out. Yeah. And the, the foundation of the church of, of, you know, the Zacharum, the, the, Acar- the faith that Akarat started is after the sin war. And it's also started it, by an unnamed angel. And it, and it's happening during the period of time that the that the the civil war in hell and then the dark exile are happening just around that time. So if Mephisto was setting up his own banishment to to, to sanctuary, he couldn't very well be sitting there torturing Inarius all the time. And mm-hmm. you know, maybe he even let the guy out on purpose because he wanted the Zacharum Church to exist so he could corrupt it. Or, so, yeah, I, or there's, there's a lot going on. Go ahead, Joe. I was gonna say, the other thing is he could have also wanted a fail safe for his inevitable daughter's betrayal. Yeah. Well, then he did. She'd already betrayed him. So mm-hmm. his, her inevitable betrayal had already happened. So yeah, there's, there's a lot going on here. We don't, we don't know everything yet and don't, don't expect that you do, but there's lots of reasons why Anarius might want to go after Lilith. He might be going after her because now he's going to do to her what she did to him. I don't know. Yeah, it's entirely yeah. possible because think yeah. about it. Think about it from the other side of the coin too, right? He may no longer fear the Nephilim, but he's he he may want to end the eternal conflict. And a really great way of doing that is to have the the best and strongest fighters on your side go to hell and eradicate it from existence. Mm-hmm. Okay, that and and doing that by raising a church of zealot paladins who mm-hmm. might also happen to be Nephilim. That's uh, a pretty good way of doing that. Just just throwing yeah. it out there. And for that matter, he might want to get, you know, he's always been weird about Lilith. Like he he couldn't get her away from his mind. He couldn't stop thinking about her. Maybe he wants to put her in a box, you know, the way he was put in a box. And that way she'd never get away from him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's not stable anymore. <laughs> and Arias has been through a lot. We don't know what you being tortured by Mephisto was like, but... I'm pretty sure Mephisto knows some it, really good tortures. It ain't good. Let's just be honest. It ain't good. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a ton going on. All right. So we're going to move on to our next one, which is going to be from Gavlin, who is also with a Diablo question. Let's speculate on what happened in the years between Diablo 3 and Diablo 4. In the latest cinematic, the scariest thing isn't Hell or the demons. It's Anarius and his Zakarum army. See, I'm glad Gavlin's on the same page as us. Uh, what if the reason Rothma has summoned Lilith is because Anarius has returned and established a fascist regime of humans to wipe out the Nephilim since he can't use the World Stone to prevent their emergence? Other ideas, please speculate, et cetera, et cetera. So going back to it, I don't think he maybe wants to eradicate the Nephilim anymore, but you're on to something because we do know a couple things here. 
we know that the time between Diablo 3 and Diablo 4 has not exactly been a healthy time for the world. Humanity yeah. has humanity has been suffering. And this is akin to like Mad Max, Judge Dread levels of isolation, right? You have pockets of humanity that are are struggling to survive. Because I think what Malthiel and, and everything it wiped out, I think they said 75% of the population. A big chunk. I don't remember yeah. if it was 75. At one point, I think he said that they literally was like nine out of 10 people died. Yeah. So like, um, but we, I don't remember the exact number, but these, these, these societies, these, these groupings of people surviving and banding together are isolated. They're pockets of, of, of humanity. And so raising a Zakarun or an army of, of, of Akarat, raising a zealot army and having a stronghold isn't necessarily the worst idea. And we know that that's actually something that's going on is that they're actively recruiting people. They're going and recruiting survivors to bring them into the faith, to bring them in to wherever their stronghold base is. We know that much. They've told us that much. Um, it's now starting to make sense. And Rathma is always been about sort of, or at least balance, right? Like it's, it's tangentially after, well, uh, why can't I think of the name of the spirit that he talked with the dragon? Oh, Tragul. Yeah. After talking with Tragul, he understood the cosmic balance that needs to be in place. Well, raising a zealous army and maybe not necessarily a fascist regime, but probably pretty close to it. Let's, let's be honest, but going through and taking all of humanity's survivors and trying to get them to work for you as an army and then offering them basic needs like food, shelter, and safety in exchange for when that comes time, you're going to put on this armor and you're going to go to war for me. That doesn't scream balance. And things have already been thrown way out of balance. Diablo 3 itself, like, mm -hmm. just look at the final act. Look what Malthiel does. Nothing is in balance. It hasn't been in balance for a long, long time. It, it bears mentioning, too, guys. The beginning of Diablo 3 is based around a, a prophecy of the end times. And that's essentially what they get. Mm -hmm. You know, between, like, you know, the amount of people killed by what Malthiel did it's just basically destroyed whatever kind of social order existed between the various nations of sanctuary. Um, there's just, everything is, is in ruins and we don't know what exactly happens over that period of time. I, I, we don't know like how many places get to, to remain even remotely a society. Like we, we hear the, uh, the concept of a lot of places, just isolated villages with no real way to reach out to the outside world. There's, there's very few countries that don't even have rulers. Look at, it's not like West March is in any place to enforce any kind of social order. The King is dead. The, you know, this, the capital city is destroyed. And then, you know, the vast majority of people die. It's, it's like, I want you to look at the black death and the effect it had on Europe. Like people often talk about the Black Death, but it's kind of, you really have to understand that the Black Death took out like half of the people, half, not, not three quarters, half. And that was enough to basically change the course of European civilization for several hundred years. Oh yeah. Borders shifted as a result of this. Like yeah. society was ever, ever changed. Yeah. And, and when that kind of stuff happens, like the Zakarum faith at the end of Diablo two is in ruins. It is, it is, you know, it's, it's name is blackened. People don't understand the full details. Nobody knows exactly what happened, but they know that the Zakarum failed and, and, you know, people did not 
believe in them like they used to. There's a Zakarum faith priest in Diablo three. The first thing he says is, you know, the Zakarum have failed. What faith, you know, what faith have we, you know, this is a big deal. Now imagine that after that, you know, almost everybody dies. Suddenly if a Zakarum shows up and tells you, you know, this is what happens when you turn your back on the faith of Akarat, you might listen. And especially when I keep going back to that thing, like we, you know, Joe and I were just talking about with Inarius, possibly as the angel that founded the Zakarum, the one that spoke to Akarat, uh, the one that's called Yerius, I think, Y-A-E-R-I-U-S. I don't know how to pronounce that, but that's in the, in the book of Cain. He talks about it, that, that there's, he thought that Akarat was seeing an image of Odyssean sacrifice, but what if what Akarat was seeing was literally Inarius showing him Odyssean sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Because remember, Inarius remembers that, even if everybody else doesn't. Inarius does. Inarius knows what happened. Inarius fought Odyssean and lost to him. Yep. So maybe that changed his mind. Maybe he doesn't want to kill the Nephilim anymore because, well, what, you know, I, if, if, Odyssean could beat me. Maybe Lilith was right. And, you know, there's that image from the Diablo three original reveal. There's a, a, a picture that they put up, not during the cinematic itself, just a piece of art of Lilith and Inarius together. We don't know that he went to hell to hurt her. He we don't even know how she got there. He might've co- come to get her. He might be like, you know what? You were right. You were right. Better. We rule than anybody else. The end of it, the end of Diablo four, like we know at some point we're going to have to interact with Lilith. It very well might be both of them. Mm-hmm. And, and for that matter though, you know, even if it isn't, you are absolutely correct that the idea of that paladin army wandering and just walking into hell, the paladins were essentially broken to the point where the Templars were the, re- were the remnants of one of the paladin orders. Remember the Templars, mm-hmm. the guys who literally tortured you until you couldn't remember anything. Where would you get that idea? I mean, it sounds like something that might have happened to somebody while they're, you know, chained up in hell. Yeah. Doesn't it though? So yeah, there's a lot going on here, guys. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Diablo four is going to be a wild ride story-wise. Like I'm, I am massively curious where we're going to go with it. And there's, there's more, there's always going to be more. Yeah, um, and it's it's really interesting that we know that at some point that at least some of the lesser evils are showing up in this. Which we haven't seen them in a while. Yeah, no, they haven't been around since Diablo 2. Uh, and we know that we're not going to see Diablo or Baal or Mephisto in this initial story. But that Diablo 4 is intended to be a story that lasts. Like, it's it's going to be around for... Like, they, they know it's going to be around. Because look, look at what happened with Diablo 3. The game's just now... They're just now ending it. Although they have mentioned that they're looking at doing things like a series of expansions and treating it almost MMO like where mm-hmm. there's a continuation of content and story for a longer period of time than Diablo three had. Exactly. They, so think of it almost like live service, but, but hopefully less live servicey more MMO. Yeah. And think about what that means for the story. Like for a period of time, we're talking about like what happened on sanctuary, but for a period of time now, hell Heaven shut its gates. Heaven was like, you know, we're not dealing with you and closed the basically closed the door. Hell doesn't have any rulers. Nobody's in charge. Mm-hmm. What in a way I could actually see Rathma thinking if Lilith comes back, at least, you know, now there's somebody who can tell them what to do. <laughs> you know, it, it, in order to end all this, this chaos, chaos is not order. 
But, you know, balance requires both of them, not just one of them. You can't balance chaos and order if everything is chaos. So, yeah, there's there's a ton of possibilities for this story that, that we haven't even thought about yet. Yeah, there's there's a bunch here. But I think I think we're going to have time for one more question uh, before we have to call it a day. Uh, and this is going to be uh, back to the wow side of things. And this is from Aravis or Aravis. I apologize. Uh Spoilers for the end of the Theldrassus campaign questing care to talk about what you think the whispers of the whispers during the black empire portion of chasing Chromie and Eternus were about also Rossi. I see what you mean about the, you will die whispers. Very, very creepy. So, well, I mean, go if ahead. you were in the original, wow. Like if you played some of that is a little bit of a, of a, of, a, of like a hat tip. Yeah. Because some of those are the original whispers from Cthulhu's raid. Your friends will abandon you. That's straight up out of there. You will die. That, that's. I remember doing that raid and hit those whispers hit for the first time, and we were all like, "Whoa, okay, this is creepy." So yeah, that's. It's part of that's a hat tip, but part of that is also the fact that I want to ask you a question, Joe. Mm-hmm. Back in Battle for Azeroth, did you did you do the quest line that ended up with with Nizoth's mark on you? I did, and I went through the quest line to get rid of it. But then when you did the next part in Nizoth came out he still hit you with that multiple eye thing sure did and and knocked you like you couldn't resist for a second and he did what he wanted to do that means that he basically if he marked you he knows where you are mm-hmm. he can and he can think he can he can make you hear his thoughts and he can hear your thoughts then you go back in time and nazoth is there I, I waited for this i'm glad that i waited for this your character canonically is unable to prevent Nazoth from reading your, his mind. So he knows what's coming. How he dies. Yeah. What if everything that happened after is because you went back in time? Yeah. What if Deathwing got corrupted because you went back in time? Yeah. And he read in your head everything that's going to happen. And so... Rather than change it exactly, he laid sure it happened exactly the way he saw it in your head so that he would know exactly what direction it was going to go, giving him the freedom to do anything after. Tell me, I know you were thinking about this. I know you were. <laughs> this <laughs> A is little not bit. something that, yeah, has, that no. has not occurred to you. No, it, it's it's something that's been on my list, too, because like I'm trying to make heads or tails of it, because the problem with uh time travel in wow in general is that it doesn't this is going to sound so weird but i don't know a better way to phrase it it doesn't follow a conventional set of rules it's kind of all over the place so there is time and space and alternate dimensions and the frame of the timeline and all this other stuff that sort of feeds into it the problem with the bronze dragon flight is that their entire purpose is to sort of fold everything back into a set path you know what I think of them as cooks. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you're making a cake and you're trying to get all the ingredients like mashed up properly. And sometimes you fold it and you fold it and you fold it. It's like blacksmithing with metal. You fold it to get the impurities out and then you hammer it and then you fold it again and then you hammer it and you're just trying to get the impurities out. That's why the Japanese swordsmith swords were folded so many times Mm -hmm. because, and this is something people don't talk about a lot. Japan is not exactly blessed with really strong deposits of iron ore. Like they've got it, but it's, it's in the middle of a whole bunch of other crap. You don't want a sword. That's got a ton of carbon in it, you know, but too much. And it's not steel. It's just junk. So you have to pound the slag out of it. 
that's what I always think of when I think of the of the Infinite Dragonflight and the Bronze Dragonflight. But the problem, like, you know, I, I, I agree, but it's like that becomes a problem because now if everything knows that, which we have reason to believe that Nazoth does, uh, then you can use that to your advantage, which what Matt's proposing and what has definitely been an idle thought of mine is that that's exactly what was intended to happen. It's also why he fixated so hard on the halls of origination and the origination device. It's why he fixated so hard on you. Exactly. Why did he put a crown on you? Why was he so interested in you? Because you were the one that showed up in the black empire all those eons ago to retrieve two lost dragons. And then he was like, Oh, finally you're here. Okay, great. I get to push this thing into motion. Yeah. That's something I've been thinking about a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's, so yeah. Why are the whispers? Yeah. What's the deal with the whispers? That's the deal with the whispers. This off can see into your head. Yep. And he can see into his head into your head because this already happened once before. He just did it earlier. Or like Matt saying, got the battle for Azeroth sought his opportunity, put his mark on you so that the next time you went there, because it is cyclical, it is something that has to happen for the timeline to continue. You, you, you did that. The the thing you said, I remember we were talking about the uh, various, oh man, the Legion stuff, the, you know, the, you know, they do not live, they do not die. They'll be on the cycle, the circle, mm-hmm. the torches, the cyclical nature, the circle, the torches right here. Yep. Right here. Like the me the the talking of the meme about like time is a flat circle it kind of is it really is at least in the way that it's curated there's they've been linking a bunch of this stuff for eons and ages go back and do the the emerald nightmare go listen to the whispers from the tree of ilganoth go back and listen to uh the the legion stuff go back and listen to like a lot of the old old gaudy stuff go buy go get yogg's puzzle box it all starts to make sense right now if you start piecing it together uh, at least I think so. And maybe it is a little tinfoil hatty. Um, but I, I've been saying this for years. I'm going to maintain it. This was all supposed to happen. This was all preordained, not because, uh, you know, of fate or anything like that, but because the bronze Dragonflight's primary job is to, like Matt said, beat the timeline back into uh, a single straight piece. But in order to do that, sometimes you have to go back and ensure things happen. Sometimes, I don't know, maybe you have to present a, uh, this is going to be a topic for next week, uh, but a little preview. Maybe you have to present a villain that unifies everybody quite uh, to specific points of time to make sure events happen. I don't know, maybe like a certain green orc breaking out of South Shore and making his way home. Yeah. So I think that's going to do it for today, unless there's anything else you want to add, Matt. I mean, there is, but you know, we don't, we can't be here all day. So. <laughs> all right, friends. Well, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast signing community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads reside experience. Again, friends, if you have questions for this or any of our podcasts, be sure to send those in. You can send them to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can go ahead and send them into us on discord and our patreon q and podcast questions channel and if you can't support us on P- 
Patreon, uh, and you just want to send us a Discord uh, message with your topic or and or question, go ahead and toss it in the Q and Podcast Questions channel. Again, we appreciate all of your continued support. It does mean a lot to us, and I mention this every time, following us on different platforms like Spotify, uh, tweeting links out, sending links to your friends, all of that does matter, and it does continue to support us. So if you can't support us monetarily, do that, and it's really, really appreciated because uh, it helps us, you know, stick around. <laughs> but with that, folks... We'll see you next week. Enjoy your lore cookie.